Welcome to Singled Out, the ninth best Guild Ball podcast. Please stand by. Welcome to episode 65. In this episode Andrew and Jason talk to Jamie Perkins about the Exile releases, and how they affect the guilds they are in. around because she loves me so and this I know for sure but does she really want to but can't stand to see me walk out the door I can't stand to fight the feeling cause the thought alone is killing me right now thank god for mom and dad for sticking two together cause we don't know how Hey, ah, ah. hey, ah, ah. hey, ah, ah. hey, ah, ah. Wow. you think you got it? No, you think you got it, but got it just Today's listener is Josh Niemczyk. This is a double dodge like introduction to the episode where we talk some baloney before the main one starts off. Uh, we don't normally do that because, you know, we like to think of our own content ideas rather than studying <laughs> yeah, we're, so, we're, we're nothing if not original. <laughs> exactly. That's literally what we are. Um, but before we start talking to Perkins about the Exiles, you wanted to talk about a tournament coming soon? Uh, yeah, just wanted to promote the Jumpers for Guild Boasts 5, which is in a place called Maidstone, which is in a place called Kent, which is in England, so... If you're not near any of those three places, it's probably not entirely relevant to you. Um, it's run by, by a very good crew of pundits, and it's on the 12th of uh, May, which is the weekend before the engines. So, and there's a really nice pizza. Well, I say really nice. There's a pizza place. Does takeaways all of about 15 seconds from the venue, uh, I believe. And I say it with quite a lot of certainty, which is not usually how I do anything, that it's going to be 32 men. Uh, and it's in a very nice venue, and unless they've changed the rules, tea and coffee making facilities are provided. So how do they book the tournament? Through the interweb. <laughs> Just go on the internet, and what, Facebook I assume? Uh, PayPal um, at hotmail.com So, Jason's given out his personal email address to the world. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That's actually just my PayPal, so you can only put money into it. Brilliant. Um, so is that... Um, you, you should probably edit that bit out, actually, where I put my Nah, it be all right. Um, well, in that case, if we're going to carry on recording, it's uh, it's on the Facebook, 
it's just jumpers for Guild Post 5 on the face. I don't actually know how you pay for it. I haven't paid for it yet. So good, I plug, good plug there. It really, <laughs> really went form plug. I'm, I'm glad we... Um... It got, I got venue, I got date. <laughs> Brilliant. Mike Pollard, Wayne Wilkinson. Did we speak plug to them. Patreon before... Um... Yes. Did we book with Perkins? Did we plug it? Not, well, I don't know. We're still talking, so we're plugging it now. Um, if you want to join our Patreon, um, as you're hearing this, the newest episode has already come out because we're about to record it. But then again, in the future, it's already out. Um, for five dollars a month, you can get access to our Patreon feed, which is a whole variety of episodes that contain cutting-edge, top-level Guildboard chat. Um, we currently have, I believe, he says, speaking to his phone, nineteen episodes. So that'll be twenty episodes now of Patreon content. Um, we release around two a month, and that can vary slightly depending upon um what's going on but we were aiming for about two a month um and if you um go on the patreon and subscribe you get access to the whole back catalogue and listen to more chat about gilball really uh except for the redacted episode that one we could talk about that's the, the episode that never happened that's the one apart from that one uh, so, so brilliant and uh, i guess now you'll hear maybe a guitar twang or or something else that i find out and um, go from there. Maybe a didgeridoo noise. Let's go original. Let's come up with something fresh. <laughs> you know, actually, I saw something that I thought was very funny. And uh, I thought, that's why I like Australia. It was uh, like a, a clip. And it, it was advertising the latest Crocodile Dundee film. What? And, there's got to be a new one, surely. Well, if you let me finish. And uh, <laughs> it, it gets like halfway through it. And they're doing some... It's about his son coming back home. And they uh, get halfway through the advert, and then it just goes, oh, wait a minute, this isn't an advert for a film, is it? And then the base of the strap runs, nah, but Australia's a fun place to go, and it's just advertising Australian airlines or something. Huh. Yeah, well, they had more of an impression on me than that, but there you go. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, um, on that bombshell, let's cut to the main recording. Cue didgeridoos. Have I not done enough of these? Like, you really need more? Um, the single doubt. That'll do. Give them money, please, and I can stop doing these adverts. And maybe, just maybe, Jason will let me out of this farm tractor thing that he's got me locked up in in Norfolk. Please help! To go out a podcast with Jason in. Uh, today we're very lucky. We are jo- joined by Gilball's very own T1000, Mr. <laughs> Jamie Perkins. T1000. Yes, hi. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> strong start, mountain, strong start. We've already got the guest on the back foot. <laughs> when I say guest, it's like you're, you're like a comfortable third presenter now. Well, I say third, uh, probably second, Andrew's third. I've been on quite a few times, haven't I, I guess? Yeah, uh, if you like it. Yeah, no, I like talking to you guys. It's good. Fun. It was two years ago and a few weeks now. It was, wasn't it? Since uh, since we did what was it a podcast about uh, Hammer, wasn't it? About Hammer, yeah, uh, yeah. about the about the places version of Hammer stuff. Yeah, selfish legs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I miss the selfish legs days. <laughs> um, we're here to talk about the uh, veteran uh, union in train models, aren't we? Um, and by the time you exiles, this, they're, all, they're all out. Also, by all, I mean four of them are out. Um, the exiles. So by the time you're hearing this, uh, Gutter, Decimate, Minx, and um, Hemlock 
out. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk about them, and then hopefully you'll glean some sort of gold from this podcast. Maybe. Never know. Um, where should we start? Anyone? Well, Gatto was the first one out, so okay, let's Gato start there. So let's talk about it, and then Jamie can tell us his wisdom. Uh, um, so, Gutter, um, what did you do? Great question. Well, we sort of covered this previously, haven't we? I think um, she's just a very reliable, solid damage dealer. When you were designing her, Jamie, and obviously going through the changes, I'm guessing, was how long did she keep sizing blow before you decided that that probably wasn't allowed to be a thing? No, she never had it. Uh, honestly, oh. she, she she never had it, even from the from the first version that we wrote of her. The, to be honest, Gutter is one of the models that didn't change very much through playtest. We wrote the first version of her, and then a couple of bits and pieces changed statistically, and some playbook results moved places and stuff. But otherwise, we were we were relatively happy with where she was to start off with, because we obviously, as you can tell by looking at her, we've modelled quite a lot off the original version. The, the playbook is very reminiscent of the original version of Gutter. Obviously, anatomical anatomical precision is just could be copied straight over, um, and, and grapple hook was in, as as people. It's fairly obvious, really, that Grapple Hook was inspired by being a, a reverse version of Chain Grab. Um, mm. And we, we intentionally didn't want to give uh, like a drag style ability to the butchers because we just don't feel that that's... That, like having very powerful control elements, such as a dragging ability, don't really fit into the butcher design space. Uh, that's not really what they're intended to do. If they're going to go and take somebody out, then they really should be leaping across the board to go and do it themselves rather than dragging somebody into them. Um, and, and But once we'd had that nailed down... And, Resolute and fan favorite came in a little bit later, I think. Um, but th- those are also relatively simple abilities. And we were the, the playtest of, of Gutter was very, very straightforward. She she got played with. The playbook is almost already pre-tested because we know it works on standard Gutter. Um, and yes, it yeah. does. I can yeah. confirm very it's well. It's the same, isn't it? Apart from that, effectively, her last resort is a three rather than having blow, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, exactly, it, it's exactly the same. Yeah. No, there's yeah. there's three changes. Her tackle is no momentous, and it was non-momentous previously. Oh. Uh, well, it's quite a significant change. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, obviously, like you've just said, she's gained three damage instead of scything blow, and then her single guild ball is still on the same column, which is the third, but it's obviously different character play. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and the other thing, and the particular reason as well, because we mentioned scything blow, one of the particular reasons why she didn't get that is because many people perhaps may not remember the days when um, when we didn't have friendly guild on damage buffs of the, yeah. the various different guilds, but... <laughs> but but original gutter. I remember the days of original gutter dragging people in with chain grab and then scything blowing people with plus two damage from the owner and from um, and from get em lads and you could do some some pretty silly things. Um, and and if I'm honest, I don't want to see a return to those days because that was just obscene. Um, so and the thing is that and she she does perfectly well enough without it. Um, if I'm honest. So Go on, sorry. are you saying then that there's there's no chance of uh... Shark getting a ranged gun string back then either. Uh, you could say that's fairly safe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Just, but... <laughs> yeah. That's it, guys. You've heard it. Season four is cancelled. All go home. The party's over. <laughs> <laughs> the, good, the good times have gone. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I really like Atta. I, I, I get that she wasn't perhaps as well received by the butchers playing community as uh, Decimate, who we'll get on to next. And I suspect. Probably out of the four that we're going to discuss today, she was the least well-received out of all of them. But I feel that it's just because the expectations were unrealistic for what they thought, for, for what people thought was going to be delivered by Gutter. But I think she's, I really like her. I think Grapple Hook is a very nice play. I think if this model had been 
say, had a blue card and maybe played for fish. <laughs> that would have been a nice thing. But she's got lots of cool... Grapple Hook's so good for disengaging her from a combat with her counterattack. Uh, was it resolute? So she goes to tax seven. That's that's nothing to uh, sniff at. No, and it's and the thing is, and pe- when people write that off a little bit too easy because it's a jog, but you've got to remember that mm. not every model in the game has a knockdown, and not every model in the game has a two inch mana zone, and not every model in the game has a two inch mana zone and a knockdown. Like the, the the amount of times in which that is usable for her to escape a mana zone are actually quite reasonable. And also, knockdowns aren't always relevant, even if they have got one. I mean, look at Skulks. This is on the sixth column, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 absolutely. Sorry. You're going to risk a parting blow on eight dice with a 4-1 model to get away, aren't you? Every day of the week. So what was the idea behind fan favourite, um, Honor? Um, so mainly just because in the in the backstory for Gutter, even when she was playing, even when she was sort of on loan from the Union, so to speak, then she was a player that the the the, the, the butchers, the fans of the butchers, uh, have always really been very supportive of, and they've always just thought that she should just probably be a butcher, really. So the fact that they that she eventually made what they obviously believe to be the correct choice of joining the butchers guild, very happy about that, and they just want to show the appreciation. So they they basically cheer particularly loud for Gutter when she's taking people out because one, that's what one of the butchers players want to see. And, the fact that she's decided to play for for their guild, they're just really appreciative of that. So okay. she's loved by the fans, quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> and I presumably you didn't want to like drink her in, in that guild at all either. It's not so much that that is just is just she's moved a little bit past little past that. Oh, don't people put a little bit too much stock in abilities that have changed, abilities that have gone and stayed. Like when you look at any veteran that has moved from from its original version, the majority of the stuff does change. Um, and that's not all been taken away for a specific reason. It's just that this model has grown and become a different person. And there are elements of, that we leave on a, a card to sort of hark back to show that there is a link there to that original person, that they are still the same person, but they have grown and changed and, and become older and wiser, etc. Life Drinker is just one of those abilities okay. that's, that's you know, it's not necessarily particularly central to the person that she is in the story. So it doesn't have to be something that she carries all the way through, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, totally. Whereas and as anatomical precision, you can see that the weaponry that she's always held has been is, <clears throat> has always been very similar. Um, and so that was, uh, aside from the fact that it's just a very useful way to uh, allow us to keep the exact same playbook, because it was always based around anatomical precision. It has a very good grounding in both balance and in flavor. So. I think one of the interesting things about Resolute on Gutter is that the other model that's got it currently without using the um, game, plan. game plans is Jack. And yet neither of them have what you'd call particularly strong counterattacks. It seems interesting that they've got it. Like neither of them have got the ability to just disengage themselves easily. Mm-hmm. Um, well, something we've just the... talked about with with veteran Gutter is that she does have that grapple up to use. I mean, you obviously yeah. have to choose yeah, yeah. that time. You have to choose that time in which you're going to use it. And it's also possible for us, for in a lot of situations as well, for her to hit that knockdown as well, which is not always like the the, the best counterattack because people can often just spend momentum to stand up. But let's say, for instance, that a, a model that has already spent momentum to stand up comes and attacks Gutter and then she knocks him down again with Resolute. And suddenly they can't stand up again because they've already cleared the conditions for themselves once. Well, those, it also, not, um, they're, not, they're not nothing counterattacks, but I know what you mean. There isn't a... Yeah. You, when you're looking for like a double dodge or a double push or something, those those really powerful disengaging yeah, she doesn't have one of those. Um, but a character, yeah. character, character is still quite reasonable. And also, it, it's, it's better than nothing. And it's it has the advantage that, uh, like you say, knockdown necessarily isn't necessarily viewed as the best counterattack, but it skews their healing mechanics. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So you, you could knock somebody down just to force them to clear conditions so that they then can't recover for health later on. Yeah. Um, or if they've got hooked and uh, dirty knives on them, they can't clear them. Ha ha. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, I love those abilities. Num, 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 num. 
Well, yeah, just in general, we talk about the reception of Veteran Gutter. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was all negative, and I don't think that's what you said either. You said perhaps it was. No, it's just saying, I think it's. But I think there was there was an interesting sort of maybe slightly controversial discussion there, and that what's really interesting is that a lot of Butcher fans for such a long time have been saying all we really want is a two-inch yes. zone that can take four influence yes. that will do reliable momentous damage, and that's exactly what they got. Um, you know, so she, she she do she she fills a bit of a hole, and it is certainly fair to say that she fills a bit of a hole in the Ox lineup more than the Fillet lineup. That's fine. That's you could say that's intended. Um, and that she's bringing what Ox wants to see a little bit more of, which is reliable to inch his own damage. And that's what she's doing. It doesn't have to be the think, most exciting thing in the world to be useful. No, uh, and you, you had made a very good point there, which I'm not sure if we did mention uh, particularly earlier. We were discussing it off air, is that she could take four influence. That's not insignificant in a team of like Boar, uh, Shank, Meat Hook. Right? A lot of your sort of output models only being able to take one or three uh, influence. I think... Currently, obviously, this will change when they get their uh, sub guild. It also frees up that uh, valuable union sh- union slot for decimate or minx, which is yeah, not bad you. either. Yeah, excuse me, but yeah, so I think that's gutter. I think right. she's she's, she's been in the wild long enough. Well, she's been in the wild long enough. People have started play testing yeah. her. I think uh, so, something else as well, which is is reminiscent of of gutter. It's fine to mention it now, but it is also true for pretty much all of the exiles is that you'll notice across all of them and i have seen this remarked by a couple of people on uh, in the various places on social media is that you'll notice that these characters don't have super comp generally don't have super complicated abilities on them um they don't have abilities that are particularly long written with the exception of we'll get onto minx she's got a couple of them that's because that's because, uh, that's because trap, yeah. abilities are, <laughs> trap abilities are just quite long to write but with the majority of the exiles the majority of their abilities are very straightforward to use um they're they're not hard to pick up and that, that's done, been done quite intentionally. We've noticed, and it's something people have also been remarking on as well the last few months, a lot of the Gilball releases have been getting perhaps more and more complicated. Yeah, not, uh, not yeah, card creep, but certainly card creep in terms of things they can do. And... Yeah, or necessarily just word, word counts as well, yeah. word counts increasing on the cards and just seeing less and less clear space. When, when you don't necessarily need that, you can often find that some of the, the best models in the game or your favourite models in the game that have a lot of different versatility don't have that much text on them. They just have abilities that are simple, powerful, but give you quite a lot of options. And I think that's what we try to do with the Exiles, and I think we've been generally quite successful in that. But, you know, obviously that remains to be seen by fan reactions. So uh, that you made a point there about keeping them simple. Something else, and um, people noticing a common denominator between them all, something that we, we see between all four, and we will have discussed by the end for each of them, is that they've all got a two-inch melee, which for a couple of the models is different to their previous form. Is that because you wanted to see more two-inch melee in the game, or is it because it just suited those characters? It, it's various, really. It, de- it depends character to character. So for for uh, veteran minks, that was almost kind of decided by um, Sherwin and Ross because they elected to put uh, to give her original Hearn spear. So that makes entire it makes a huge amount of sense for her to have a two-inch melee zone. Also, mm-hmm. the hunters themselves don't have a lot of two-inch melee zones, so that was a mm-hmm. perfectly fine fit. For Gutter as well, she kept her more or less the same weapons. She has a two-inch melee zone in the first place. That made sense for her to have yeah. one, plus the, plus the Butchers needed one. We needed to give them a little bit more access to two-inch melee zones. And the same thing again for, for the Brewers. When we come on, I'm going to come on to De- Veteran Decimate in a minute, but Veteran Decimate is, uh, as as Gutter was a return to core design principles for the Butchers, Decimate was a return to core design principles for the Butchers. Yes, the she is. <laughs> um, 
and <laughs> and in and in that vein, there were originally back people that have played since season one will remember that the Brewers originally had a, a little bit of a monopoly on tough hide, resilient characters, and Timmy Manizels, yeah. and they have yeah. since they have since lost that. Um, but because there's been a lot of Twitch Menazons and Resilient models to give into other guilds. Mm. Um, but in what we've been able to do with Veteran Decimate is give them another model that goes straight back to Brewer Core Design so we can reset that balance a little bit. And what I mean there by balance in, the, in just the number of types of models that yeah. are available to them, they now have a greater amount of Twitch Menazons of high models so they can run a, 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 a team of very resilient models once again if they want to. Um, with, Hemlock, yeah. with Hemlock, it was... The model had one, really. Um, <laughs> and and the thing is, when we came to playtesting that model, we were like, if it becomes a balance issue, we can take it away from her because we're not particularly attached to it. But because of the way that Veteran yeah. Hemlock actually plays, she's not a frontline model. If she's playing near the front line, she yeah. tends to actually be taken out. Yeah, she's just a support model um, a lot of the time. And so her having a two-inch mono zone was kind of... It, it, it's, it's not nothing. Having a two-inch mono zone is, is a nice thing. Uh, but for her, it wasn't a particularly massive uh, massive element because she's, she's not being in that scrum the whole time it's not going to be a massive benefit to a mortician player she's not you're not going to go oh my god she has a two inch melee zone i'm going to throw her into the melee zone all the time because i can get loads of no. off her you do that you're going to get a kill uh, um, so it was something that we had on her because the model had it in the first place and then we had just had resigned ourselves to saying that if this becomes a balance issue during play testing we can remove it from her but it never became an issue so we left it on her and it was fine so essentially if you want to see more two inch melee models in your guild or even three inch you need to Grease Russ's palm. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, don't do that. All right. Worth a try. <laughs> no, no. Uh, a lot of this stuff, basically, a lot of this stuff comes from how we do our art briefs and how we tell, how we explain to uh, Russ and Doug how we want the model to, to look and what they're armed with. And then it's what they come back with a lot of time. We'll, we'll give our initial yeah. impression of, of, of how we then go and write the rules. The order in which we do things is that we'll, we'll have a concept for a character. Um, we... And then the next three things will happen in various orders. But the next stage is effectively that we get the art brief done because we have an idea of how we want the models to visually look. We'll then send that art brief off to to Doug to get that done. And then once the art brief, once the art piece has come back from Doug, then Russ or someone in Russ's team will then go and sculpt uh, the model for it. Uh, at this point, we've already done like first drafts of rules, and we can do revisions of drafts depending on how large the weapons were. But we try and explain that in our art briefs, so all that kind of stuff gets done kind of at the same time. Um, for the for the Union Chains models, that wasn't done by um, well, that was done that was done by Sherwin and Russ more so than other people in the development team, and which is fine. And that's not necessarily causing a problem. It's just in this particular aspect, these models were done before we'd written rules. And what I'm getting around to saying there is that we hadn't actually written any of the rules for any of the Union and Chains models until after the Union and Chains campaign had closed. Mm. Um, and which at that point, obviously, we've got artwork done, we've got the sculpts done, and that informs quite a lot of them where we go from there for with the rules. I took a very roundabout way of saying that, but did that make any sense at all? Yeah, no, perfect. So moving on to good. the um, the saviour of the Brewers Guild then, uh, just a moment. Um, so one week, you're breaking the hearts of the butchers, Jamie. You're, <laughs> you're, you've let them down, you've disappointed them. And the following week, you're breaking the heart of the butchers because you're giving the Brewers and what the they wanted. Well. And the Masons players. <laughs> enter, enter stage right, veteran decimate, slayer of soul. is good for you. The, yeah, the tyrant of Flint more than before. <laughs> Flint, just, Flint just got even more scared. <laughs> well, I suppose actually so did Brisket. Welcome listeners to the Jason Mountain podcast and the uh, hyperbole of doom. <laughs> yeah, so, clearly Flint not a regular right. listener. 
<laughs> you always told us you listened, Jamie. I'm starting to think you you just do that to get airtime. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's the way. I mean, yeah, she's good. Let's not beat around the bush. She she's is solid. good. Yeah, she gives the Brewers. I think uh, she gives them a kick threat, which cannot be ignored. Her goal threat's pretty just, good, isn't it? Really, you know. Uh, eight inch move, six inch kick, two inch dodge, and then she can do two inch dodge per hit as well. I'm sorry, did you say eight inch move? Why yeah, has she not got her speed buff or spigots times call? Well, you I mean 12 inch move? Mountain, but that's on her <laughs> card. It's printed on her card. <laughs> as printed. Okay. Have so you not used the game? What's the maximum threat then? Let's work it out, shall we? Okay, uh, 14, 16, 18. <laughs> it's quite high than that, isn't it? Well, so, well you've you've got, got, so, you, so you've got your plus two move from Nesters. You've yep, got your yep. plus two move from Times Called. I can take up to a 12-inch sprint, and then you could do probably, if you're if you're sprinting or charging, whichever, then you can do a couple of attacks, and then you double push. If you've got duelists lunge up, then you can get yeah, two. Yeah, it's lunge basically. Yeah, some more. I was including Shadow Light Game Plan card and Fast Ground. Sure, sure. Well, we could, yeah, sure, if you want to do that as well. But you also got the, uh, you, it's probably fairer if you just keep it to within guild buffs. But yes, you've got that stuff as well. Well, it's I would have had your Christmas, Ed. Yeah. So she can go yeah. in and she can uh, ruin someone's day. I mean, um, I think um, even though, like, her playbook's um, five long, um, attack six, out of precision with some buffs in her faction, she's going to be hitting the top of the playbook really easily. Um, and that, that knocked out Stagger at the top. Um, I think you might see more often than you think. I mean, people have written that off quite a lot. No, but, I mean, if, if you, yeah, no, they really shouldn't, uh, because if you, as soon as you start putting any kind of attack buffs on to decimate at all, it's even really if powerful. it's just a couple of, even if it's yeah. just a couple of gang ups. I mean, I've seen her uh, charge at Obulus, um, and Obulus has gone defensive stance counter attack because obviously I'm going to be able to use my unpredictable to dodge, and then I'm going to be able to counter attack you and dodge away. I'm going to be fine, and then she goes, no, I'm going to bonus time, and now I'm fairly likely to hit that knockdown stagger, and you're just kind of screwed. And there was there were a couple of attack buffs on him at the time, um, but the odds on her doing that were were pretty good. Uh, just ignoring the single point of armor, even when Obulus had defensive stance, just meant that that was was fairly likely actually. And then he had a bad time because of it. Um, I mean, she yeah. can, she can she can trigger very easily be tack eight, Colin. She at the minimum with you know commanding aura and a bonus time, for example. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Only point of armor means suddenly five long playbook tack eight. Um, it's pretty serious. So- Rather than like sort of getting too carried away and excited, what was the design process behind it? What, did you feel like the Brewers just needed a player who was close to, if not above the curve, just to give them a bit of a, a lift up? I mean, you, I do, I'm not going to ask you straight out if you think she's above the curve or not, because that's unfair on you and I wouldn't expect you to answer. The public will have made their opinions up on that. But did you, I, did you deliberately create a par- character that is quite strong, to be fair? We deliberately, derated, we deliberately created a character that has very strong offensive capabilities. Um, and yeah. remembering, remembering that she's weighed down by elements such as, even though she has tough hide, a defense of three is obviously yes. one of the things that is yeah, fairly common. She, she she yeah, I mean, even though she's got tough hide, she still only has the 14 health boxes. Like, she's she's quite, she's pretty tough, you know, uh, but she's not the toughest player in the world by any stretch of the no. by any stretch of the sense. Um, and the thing, the main things that were, that were driving the dis- development of Veteran Decimator, that we obviously, as I've mentioned before, we wanted to return, firstly, to core design yeah. principles of the Brewers. The second thing that we had to do, and this was quite a challenge, actually, is that we still had to make Veteran Decimate feel like Decimate. It, I mean, if you take the original Decimate and then you compare original Decimate to your, bre- your archetypal Brewer model, 
there is a very large delta between those two points. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you've got one of the, as as was explained in the in the blog with Dr. Decimate, you've got what, Captain Dodger McDodgerson or something like that. And then you're putting Captain Dodger McDodgerson into the Pushy pushiest guild. <laughs> yeah, pushiest guild that there is, which has extremely limited access to Dodgers. And we have to make the idea still make sense. And I think that we've achieved that um, with mm. the way that we've done things in that, yeah, she doesn't have uh, Dodgers on her playbook in inverted commas uh, because she's got it access through it through Duelist's Lunge, which is kind of like a mega version of Knockback, if you will. Um, and then obviously you've got Acrobatics as well, but she's still we've still managed to keep Dodgers actually off her actual playbook results, which I think is a, is a relative success. And we've still managed to get her to a point where people look at her and go, yes, she still feels like Decimate. And all of those things can be counted as wins. On top of that as well, as, as I started off with, is when you have a model that's going to have a Brewer playbook and anatomical precision, that can get, I mean, there's a two-inch man is on top of that. Those three things can get very, very powerful. So we knew that Decimate had a very strong capacity to be a very strong offensive model, which meant it gave us even more reason to be able to say, well, that's fine. That means that she can she can be weighed down a little bit by Brewer defensive stats, and that will be okay. Can I, uh, just while uh, you mentioned about Duelist Lunge there, just to clear up, because this did come up on the Facebook, because it is a heroic, if you pay for it with a point of momentum before her first attack, she can use it four times. She can use it on every attack because it's not the next attack it's any attack that's correct it will apply to every single attack that she makes so if she goes and, and uses her counterattacks because counterattacks are still attacks as well yes yes not passing blows because passing blows no, can't generate you... pushes and dodges uh, but yes I yeah, you can't reposition on them yeah i just yes, want to get that as well. but, but, well so i mean i i think she's very strong i really like her i think it's going to be we're going to see her everywhere and i think she'll be at vengeance all over the place um the the tough hide is that there's because that's quite a change that's the that's i mean obviously yeah, there's a lot of changes there but that, that that bit of defensive text a bit of a excuse me change from what she had in her previous incantation 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 is that just because like you've sort of alluded to that you wanted to give more tough hide to the guild rather than specifically you wanted decimate to have it yeah and it's, it was just it's it's, 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 it's it's very specifically that, as I pointed out before, and as you've, you've also said, is that we want to return to Brewer Core Design. Brewer Core Design mm. is two inch man zone, reasonable access to knockdown, short Brewer playbooks, tough hide, and and beat down when you're attacking knockdown targets, which she she certainly has, um, because she can hit that momentous three quite happily against knockdown targets with her anatomical precision. Um, and it's, the thing is, it's quite easy to explain for any any model that you want to put in the Brewers Guild because you mm. can, you can kind of just get away. We've got a little bit of an easy an, an easy get out of jail free card with it, really, by just saying that she she joined the Brewers Guild. She's got a bit of a beer jacket most of the time now, <laughs> which is going to which is going to which is certainly going to affect her her ability to defend herself and her death, and what is yeah. therefore also going to result in her not feeling things as much with tough So yeah, it's, it's fairly easy to explain that. Yeah, I do think she's a very good uh, epitomization of what the Brewers' core design was back in the season. It also, <coughs> uh, low damaging results are on, on momentous, which often is the case for Brewers, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, Brewers, like, kind, of, Brewers, kind, of, Brewers kind of have some of the most iconic playbooks because there are so many aspects to them that make them unique. The the top-end damage being the only element of the damage with momentous. You've obviously got the yep. Brewer playbook, and the, in fact, the Brewers tend to have playbooks that are shorter than the number of attack that they have. Um, and then the lower down results not being momentous because we're trying to push them into using their knockdowns to be able to get to those higher momentous results and then having good access to momentous pushes. All this kind of stuff makes player book, play, Brewer playbooks quite unique and have quite a lot of characters to them, actually. I remember many, many moons ago uh, on a on a YouTube 
channel you may or may not be familiar with called Guild Ball Informer, featuring two people who I believe you've crossed paths with at some point called a Jay Finnegan and Jamie Giblin. And this was way back early season two, talking about various things in the guild and guild identities. And I still remember them saying like, uh, or Finnegan the first, saying he hadn't realised until some point in the moment that all of the brewers knocked down some momentous mm-hmm. and that they all had short playbooks. And that's something that very much stuck with me through, uh, well, to now, obviously, because I've just mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. As I say, you, you can have certain guilds, like you could compare, say, uh, you could compare a mortician um, playbook to, say, a hunter's playbook, and you might not be able to tell. If somebody mm. didn't know which characters they were from, you might not be able to tell uh, what guild they're from. But, if, say, if you can, if you take some of the more iconic playbooks, like a mason playbook, you can tell. If you've seen a mason yeah. playbook before, you know that's a mason playbook. If you take uh, a brewer's playbook, more often than not, if you've seen brewers before, you can you can probably tell that's a brewer's playbook. And that's something that's, that's really, really cool about those particular guilds is that they have quite iconic playbook structures. That's actually a very, very true point, actually. Their playbooks are <clears throat> very strong. And you, like you say, you, there's little hints in other playbooks, like fish have got momentous dodges everywhere and butchers have got momentous damage everywhere. But the brewers, you're right, everything, all the pushes are momentous. The highest damage is almost universally the only one that's momentous. All of the playbooks are short. You know, I say Masons, it's always like, except for um, Brick, all of the low like th- three to four columns are momentous. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse yeah. me. Right, so, um, next. on to, on to Minx. Um, Minx. Yes. Yes. She looks so cool. Um, so so um, interesting. She's um, quite quite different to the original Minx, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Um, she is. Got a big spear for one thing. Um, she has the same speed, I believe. Is that correct? Seven nine. She does. She does. Yeah. Uh, same yep. attack. Same kick. Same. In fact, same stats across the board. There actually. Um, no, her influence is no two four instead oh, of two two. Of course, because she's furious. Yeah, um, and uh, her kicks no three six, not two six. Thank you. And her attack. Well, you know, if you're going to make <laughs> blanket statements, at least make them right. <laughs> 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 You've heard this podcast before, right? Um, <laughs> I know, right? A... Um, so, do you want to run us through the, the sort of idea behind this model's design, Jamie, in terms of what you wanted to do? You might see a bit of a recurring theme here, um, in that returning to core principles of how a guild was made. And in the with veteran minx there, we see that she, in taking up Hearn's, veteran, uh, in taking up Hearn's original spear, um, she's become the new Sion of the Sunfather. Therefore, it makes sense for her to be the third model that brings the very powerful blessing of the Sunfather heroic play, which obviously is a, is a massive amount of influence efficiency for the guild. And that's the third time that they're going to have seen the heroic play. Um, and the other thing we wanted to do is something that we haven't done since we originally released the Hunters, is give them a, an additional model that can uh, place traps. So mm. um, we wanted to make sure that she had some method of placing traps with her, where she brings these jawbone traps to the pitch, and then just a different method of interacting with those traps, really, because we've the traps that we've seen before on both Jakar and on uh, Chaska have both been traps that have just dealt conditions, and we wanted to see what else we can do with these traps, which is why these ones do something quite simple, which is just they cause two damage uh, to whichever person that, trip, that, that, that well, trips over them. Um, but the thing that's interesting about that is a couple of different things. Firstly, that... If you run over multiple of Minx's traps, then you're going to be suffering that two damage each time. Whereas if you run over multiple of Chaska's traps, all you're going to be doing is suffering the snare condition again, which actually has no commutative effect. Um, mm-hmm. So what you can actually do with jawbone traps, if you, I've seen it set up properly in a, in a playtest game where somebody set up three trap markers 
around an enemy model. The enemy model decided they didn't want to move, and that was fine. So then Chaska just came along and boomboxed them out of the traps and caused 10 damage to them. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, as they flew through all the different trap markers, which is pretty cool. And then we've also got the way in which the, these damaging traps interact with Minx herself, in which they help her trigger heightened senses character traits, which gives her a plus one defense when she's being attacked by a damaged enemy model. So when you notice when you're playing with the Hunters or against Hunters, they're quite efficient at, make, at doing a lot of chip damage, where... They can yeah. put maybe two or three points of damage across all of your characters quite easily. This is something that Veteran makes benefits a huge amount from, because if you've got any damage on your characters at all, then she becomes defense five and armor one, which is a really, really difficult yeah, stat line to break into. Suddenly, she's five one fifteen, right? Yeah, right. So, so she's um, she, she can become quite a difficult model to to chew through, even though she's only got twelve health. Um, and that's something that we wanted to lean into quite heavily because what we wanted to do with Veteran Minx, therefore, is make her into this, uh, and I've been labeling it as a, as a Vanguard model, which is basically somebody that can go in first, who can charge headlong into an enemy team, who can generate you a little bit of momentum quite easily, which she certainly can, can put a little bit of damage on some enemy models. Um, she can be quite difficult to remove. She's not just going to get, she's not just going to get taken out in one return activation by the opponent and what that means is that the hunters have someone embedded in the enemy team there. and that means that the next person that's following her in is getting tack buffs from her from her uh, ganging up the opponent and then she's also got uh, the, the benefit of another character play uh, that she's got called marked for death um which means if she has marked for death up when any, anybody that is within her melee zone when those models are targeted by a charge then that charge is cheaper and has a longer range so she can go and embed herself in an enemy team and it becomes much more easy for the rest of the Hunters team to follow her in and come and deal damage to the opponent. So if, if the Hunters player wants to play a very aggressive melee game for whatever reason, I mean, if this has been followed, if she's been followed in by, say, Jakar and or Cena, for instance, then they can come in from downtown and do quite a bit of damage. So, yeah. it's, and then well, it's also... Oh, sorry, go on. That's, uh, I was going to just kind of, kind of rambling, really, but you know, go for it. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, it's, it's another... You look at the three models we talked about, it's another interesting way that you kept part of their previous design so obviously we talked about how gutter had drag which was pulling models in and now she has i can't remember what it's called but she goes to them decimate had thousand cuts which was a permanent debuff which couldn't be removed and now she's got stagger and minx had mark target which increased threat range but now she's got mark for death and it's instead of it being range and then increasing range it's now she has to be up there it's interesting how you've kept those kind of core elements of their character plays because a thousand cuts is is very significant to to uh, to decimate. Well, yeah, it absolutely. was whenever I played her, um, and Mark Target perhaps didn't get used as often on Minx, but it's still you know it's a nice little uh, uh, nod back to her previous kind of uh, design. Yeah, I mean, that as well as uh, her speed. Her speed is obviously quite a very important part of the original yeah. Minx. And, that is, uh, and she has a very, she keeps a very similar threat range um, because she, she doesn't have damage target anymore, as the original Minx does, but she, what she does have right. is this lovely nice two-inch melee zone, which is there all the time, which is another element of threat extension for herself. Uh, and so. also, it's, I guess, because like, she used to bring efficiency in that she had Furious, but now she brings efficiency in that, excuse me, <coughs> That mark for death means that other models gain half furious. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then obviously so. blessing of the sun father as well for cheaper character players. And the thing that's <clears throat> the thing that's interesting about uh, Minx's oh, blessing of, of the sun father yeah. is that is that she can use it on herself for a free mark for death if you want that. Yeah. So you can you could be stacking efficiency on top of efficiency. Um, mm. But for the first time, you've got a you've got a player with the blessing of the sun father heroic that might not necessarily. Um, default to using it on herself. So Theron, more often than not, will use Blessing of the Sunfather on himself. 
and her yeah. will will also more often than not use it on himself. Um, Minx can use it on herself, but you've got a player here that you don't you're not going to need Mark for death all the time because you know, charging can be sometimes can be a bit inefficient because you give the opponent a chance of defensive stance, and you might just have all of your players engaged already. You might not need to charge anybody. Um, in which point you can start using that blessing of the Sunfather on other players that love to have it. So Egret is a fantastic example of a player that loves to have blessing of the Sunfather, but doesn't always get the chance to have it. Zerola is another is another good example. She she benefits enormously from blessing of the Sunfather. Um, so, and the other thing as well about Minx is that it, obviously Theron has it and can't play with Scatha because those are the two captains. Um, mm-hmm. Normal Hearn tends to play with Theron because that's where he gets access to his forest that he can leap across the table. Scatha yep. doesn't necessarily get to play as much with Blessing of the Sunfather because of those two things. And now she's, for the first time, got a player that you could play quite consistently with Scatha and you can give her access to the same amount of influence efficiency if you really want to as well. So. She's also got uh, a very efficient momentum uh, generation across her playbook, which yes. is never a bad thing. Having like a dodge on one that's momentous is it's the only uh, playbook result bar a guild ball symbol that can't be uh, nullified by any form of defensive tech, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And what so you what you'll notice, I kind of alluded to it before, but there are there are elements of similarity between momentum generation on hunter playbooks and on mortician playbooks, um, and that's just that they they will have quite a lot of momentum generation, but the the ways in which they generate that momentum are quite inconsistent. Um, mm. So, and that's true on Minx. She has a couple of dodges, she has a couple of damage results, but not all the damage results. She's got a guildball results. Um, there's a little bit of everything and it's just kind of scattershot across the different things. Like it's not consistent in the way that a butcher's momentum generation is consistent, if that makes sense. Is that how they're like designed for? Um, with, with butchers, I guess anything with a number and you, put, you make it red. But I guess if you've got a, <laughs> a, a guild that has random momentum, it's be hard to yeah, it's, it, it's a, to give them. It can be sometimes, yeah. Um, so it's got to be kind of almost on a case-by-case basis, really. But you've just got to remember that those guilds have that, you have that inconsistent momentum generation and that's kind of Weirdly, your inconsistency is your consistency. Yes, that's yes, the point. Yes, that you yes, keep yes, to remember to be consistent. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So yeah, but yes, that's intentional. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this one's received in the uh, in the community because it's the the only one where it's well, I suppose gutter to a degree, but gutter isn't as core a part of the um, butchers team uh, as minx is of the hunters team. I mean, it's not often that you don't see minx within about the hunters. You mean you talk about the original versions of these characters now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, original Gutter, although she could be taken by the Butchers, you know, they've also got Decimate, um, and so you see, and Minx. So you kind of see those three union options, and Harry. Whereas in the Hunters, it's like Minx is in a large percentage of starting sixes. Although she um, anyway, in July or well, whatever it is. Thank um, you for finishing my sentence, Andrew. That's well, very good well, observation. Jason. Yeah. Uh, it's June anyway, I think, so. <laughs> never, in my face. You know. Uh, back at you but yeah i mean obviously it's you know almost a a a moot point because they will be losing uh union minx um not too long after they get uh xr minx because xrs are out in so probably only a month or so later but i think it's you know it'll be interesting to see what the reaction is that obviously they can only put one on the table um and like i say sort of going around in a circular point but that uh, Union Minx is such a reliable and 
key part of the team. Well, they're such different models, aren't they? Um, I mean, you, yeah. you've got you, you can you can put four influence onto Minx, and you can very consistently generate four momentum points if you want to, and and she's a, a much more difficult model to take down as well because of, of heightened senses. Um, and with original Bing, with original Minx, what you've got there instead is an extremely efficient character in herself, and that you don't have to give her any influence at all, and she will always generate use of momentum because of Furious, uh, and then she can get herself back again again with with Back to Shadows. Uh, but the main reason why, when I'm playing with Hunters, why I bring Minx is, is one, that efficiency, and two, because she's another method of putting the snared condition onto the opponent very easily, which is something yeah. that the veteran Minx can't do at all. She doesn't have any access at all to the snared condition. And that's going to be interesting no. to see how players react to that one as well. Yeah, um, that's the kind of the points that I've badly articulated. <laughs> and thankfully, you've saved me. You're welcome. <laughs> but, but then the trade-off as well is that they've now got another 3-6 kick model, and let's face it, like... Scoring goals could sometimes be difficult with uh, hunters because, like, you have your car and Minx who both only got a two dice kick. Yeah, well, so you've, only got got a, you've got a player with a three die kick who has a seven nine mm. movement access, reasonable access to dodges, not not superb mm. because that double dodge is quite high, um, but reasonable access to dodges, two inch men's zone, and 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 all the useful things have been able to score. A, um, what's the word? An opportunist goal, uh, if you will. Yeah, I, I just think it's going to be an interesting debate to see how people. I think. I mean, let's let's not pretend that there's going to be any Hunters players who are disappointed, or there shouldn't be any Hunters players who are disappointed with Vet Minx because she's be well, there will, but you know <laughs> we've, we've got the soapbox of a podcast and we can tell them they're wrong but I just think it will be an interesting debate of like for uh, which one people take and what they like about each one and what they'll miss and what they're happy about. I think it's a more there's more of a in, in an in-guild debate there than there is with say Gutter and certainly Hemlock and Decimate because they're, they're just new options yeah, I can see that. And there's also as well, uh, particularly with the hunters, you have a fewer uh, a fewer number of um, well, you don't really have any damage buffs that are guild only um, mm. in the hunters because there aren't many. I don't think there's any damage buffs at all in there. You kind of isolate a target. Got, yeah, but those are on. You can't grant that to anybody else. Those are models that have that. What I mean, you don't have the owner. You don't have commanding or You don't have tool up. Um, so the fact that and, you have. Whereas for Gutter and Decimate, there's a big choice there in that you're having to pick a guild model that can benefit from things like Commanding Aura and the owner, etc. Yeah. With the Hunters, yeah. you don't necessarily have that problem uh, because you don't have any of those those kind of abilities to, to consider. So uh, that's going to be an interesting thing to see as well. Mm. Yep. So and now for the last one uh, that we're going to talk about today is Hemlock. Uh, Andrew, you can actually get involved in this debate because you play morticians now, don't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've been playing them, you know, for <laughs> two months now, so I'm obviously an expert of them. A guild yeah. renowned, a guild renowned to be easy to play. Um, she looks really good to me. I mean, um, she looks like a great support, ca- great support character. Uh, keeping blind is brilliant mm-hmm. um, for obvious reasons, and she has. Um, speaking of hunters, really, she has been offering, doesn't she? Yeah, um, yes. and, and it doesn't so end. Good. It doesn't end there because it's not even just normal midnight offering. It's cheaper midnight offering. She can yeah. she can hurt herself. She can do to herself three damage to make any um, character play one less. Yes. So uh, yep. Solseer is a character trait she has once per turn. She can spend. She can suffer three damage when making a character play to. It doesn't reduce the cost by one because that would do weird things to the blind dice pool. Right, so you spent, spent, there is, it is worded that way very on, on purpose because okay. obviously cost, cost is the way in which you generate dice balls, and that would, there would have been a weird question there with how that would interact with blind. Um, and if we ever wanted to use this ability again on anybody else. Um, but uh, 
so we formatted it differently. But yes, you spend one less influence to use character play, which would mean that you could spend one influence and suffer three damage to use Midnight Offering, which would normally cost you two, which is, which considering that the Morticians have up to now only had Puppet Master for moving their own models around, which costs four, and then now you have the option of a cost one ability to move your own models around. That's amazingly good. It's really good. It's so good. It's amazing. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, I'm a big fan of Scalpel. Andrew, you tried to play Scalpel. Just instantly, her movement shenanigans, what is it? 7 and 14. I mean, if you, 14, kick, off with, if you, kick, off with, if you kick off with Scalpel, you can then midnight offering her if you want to. You can have Scalpel move 14 inches off your deployment line before she's activated on turn one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Also, the ability, I mean, there's so many shenanigans you can do with that to move Cosset up so she's already in lure range so she can lure and then retreat back. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, even, again, even, just more, even just more simple uses, like someone's managed to finally get away from Casket as you're about to Casket time them and you're like, no, you don't. Just move Casket back up again so he's closer. Or Gast. Yep. Gast is perhaps he's been taken out as often happens to Gast because he has to be in the centre of the table. Like so he's many things like repositioning Skulk for his threat. lightning reflexes. and yes, she, she can increase a goal threat. That, that yeah. is actually why she has a 2-3 influence stat line. It's because, um, because of that, if that. It's quite a significant goal threat actually in that if she uses Soul Seer on herself with Midnight Offering, she could sprint for one to move eight inches. She could Midnight Offering for one, which is another six inches, and then she could shoot six inches. She has a 20-inch goal threat on her own. It's only a two-die kick. But you've got another janky, weird mortician style. But she has two inch melee and a mom tackle on one hit. She does indeed. She does indeed. She's actually not a bad footballer if you really want her to be. She dies fairly <laughs> fast. Fairly fast. Um, well, yes. yeah, defense five, 12 HP. Um, but and don't again, forget, she's got dark doubts, which is not insignificant. Yeah, she has dark doubts, doesn't she? So off of dirge. The other thing you'll notice as well through playing Hemlock is that, uh, uh, and some people may just write off Soul Seer as something that you'll just tend to heal. Mm. Given, the, the, given the types of abilities that she has, which is blind and midnight offering, both of those abilities tend, especially in the early game, <laughs> tend to be better used in the earlier part of the turn. And if you want Hemlock to go first, she's not going to be generating you a lot of momentum points, which often means that she just has to suck up that damage from Soul Seer and keep it, um, mm. which, is, which is what um, lends itself to her fragility. And that, that if people get to her, she's going to be taken out relatively easily because she's going to tend to have taken at least three damage from Soul Seer, maybe more. Um, so. Yeah, she's very. I, I like her a lot. I think she's very interesting. I I don't think. Uh, yeah, she she's going to work well with either captain. I think. Like, I mean, obviously, you both play morticians. Um, I think the morticians have a real trouble now, like with their ten. It's like, so not even their six, yeah. just their yeah. ten. I mean, I, I love, I, Morticians are one of my favorite guilds to play um, when I'm playing mm. events and stuff, and I'm going to find a hard time, especially because the other Ratcatcher models that are coming recently as well, like, you have a really difficult time picking your 10 and then picking your 6 each game. There's well, a lot to I choose from. Skulk, Skulk seems in order to include in a 10, uh, and Balage is a good argument for her as well. Um, yep, absolutely. I feel like part of the skill with the Morticians, more than, and it probably reflects, I mean, maybe it's a design purpose, maybe it's an accident, but, because they are a control team, it's so much about the real the skill with them is picking the right like six for the matchup because they've got so many like you know how do I articulate like certain they, they, have, okay, a, they so... have a lot of different types of control um, yeah I guess that's it like, yeah, tools, so you've got, yeah yeah you've you've got this... blind on hemlock you've got puppet master on obulus you've got yep. t- tormented agony on scalpel you've got tucked and shut out on silence you know and you've got lore on cosmic You've got the fantastic beast that is gassed. You know, there is so many different types of things 
types of control that you can flavors of control if you will that you can bring to the table um it's which ones do you want to bring really because they all do like, vastly different things and i guess yeah because i guess in a roundabout way what i'm trying to say is like control is a very hard like, as a play style is very hard to define like what is control like so fish uh, yeah so this is kind of what i mean so like shark wants to score goals uh you know philip wants to kill things their play styles are quite easy to define so therefore the models that you want to do that in that role are quite easy to define whereas control is as we've sort of just said it's you know how do you apply that control and therefore what tools do you need to apply it in that situation yeah so yeah, I think- it's, it, you benefit a lot from depth of understanding not only of the game but also of what your opponent wants to do um and then if you have those two things you you can play a control style very very successfully um mm. But but that's why starting off with a control team is not something I tend to recommend for people because it can't. It's something that can be quite difficult to get your head around, especially when you're just trying to get the basics of the game. So, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to say there that, that you should steer new players away from morticians, but you should certainly warn them that that they're perhaps not the most new player friendly guild that, that we have available to us. Certainly less new player friendly than say the butchers, the fishermen, um, or perhaps the masons and the brewers, etc. Because of you know, kickoff. Um, but when you finally have that depth of understanding, or you know how the game works, you know a little bit of the kind of decisions your opponent's going to make, then the morticians make for an extremely exciting guild to move on to once you've understood how the game works. And I think that, I think that Hemlock certainly adds to that. But, but also, something that we can talk about with Hemlock in particular is that even in amongst the context of other mortician players, she's, I think she's certainly kept to that, that design the goal of the exiles and that she's not a in herself she's not a complicated player um the, the four abilities that she has are not difficult to understand and she's not difficult to use um like if you want to you can do her you can use her abilities in very simple ways blind just put it on the model you don't want to hurt you that turn if you need go yeah. to midnight offering somebody just move the player up that needs to be up the table which might be gassed or casket you, you can use all these abilities in very simple ways um even though she is part of one of the more complicated guilds and it's she hasn't yeah like lots of uh, awkward synergies on the back of a card like say uh, the farmers and uh, blacksmiths or some of the hunters but, um, yeah I think she's cool I'm really she's one of the models I think I'm most looking forward to reading the story for which you know I'm not a huge backstory person uh, I do read it but her transition from the character of like kind of the the wood druid weird pagan hippie green tea drinking <laughs> union model to this edgy dark hurt yourself to do things emo chick it seems like quite a i'm interested to see how sharon spins it speaking of speaking of backstory i'm actually glad you mentioned that because you reminded me of something um which is so this podcast is going to drop on the thursday right so and it's the thursday running up to sleep i'm trying to think what day it's going to be it's going to be the 12th probably Twelfth, I want to say. Um, look at my calendar. That sounds about right because it's the April seven, isn't it? Yes. So that then we know that salute is on the fourteenth, and mm-hmm. for anybody that's at salute or not at salute, that is certainly going to be a day to keep your eyes on the Steamforge block because it's going to be a piece of backstory appearing that day that is going to give you some really, really, really interesting information. Um, that's all I'm going to say for now. That's that's it's certainly certainly one to watch, and I'm not even going to reveal that to you guys. Boo. <laughs> on air. <laughs> Oh, probably. Well, I know, but I like to I thought not. sort of <laughs> Fort, Fort Perkins. Fort Perkins. Fort Perks. <laughs> Him and his army of T-1000s standing guard to the development room. Something that we, we were discussing off air, because I think, have we got anything else we want to say about Hemlock or do we want to uh, move on to? I don't think so, no. I think, like, uh, again, I think the, 
those four. They're all interesting. Do you think that we've met our design goal of trying to keep them as simple? I mean, perhaps with the exception of jawbone traps, because trap markers just by definition have a long explanation. But apart from, say, jawbone think, traps, do you think that we have kept yeah, to our principle of keeping it simple? There's models? a lot of levers you can push um, and pull to make them interesting without making them overly complex. Um, I think Minx is the most complex really well. of them all, but I think inherently that's um, just part of being in the hunters and even then it's not it's it's just like like some of the wording and the, she's still going to be a difficult piece to use with the, like the setup for uh, mark for death and things like that but the actual the rules and how they're written is clear and simple i think it's yeah. just the application of her as a model on the pitch is going to require some skill i'm looking forward to hearing aaron and his type train because he'll be chew chewing all over tidmouth bay yeah, yeah, you will. With that, um, but yeah, so okay, moving on, because um, unfortunately I have to go do some work shortly. But you, I don't. <laughs> you mentioned pre-show. He's gone. Hello. I like that. He was. You mentioned pre-show, and he's out. I think he was probably good to talk about season four. Um, yeah. yeah. So let's do that briefly. So um, you mentioned about making it, uh, doing some passes on language and making it easier to read and um, for new players. Yeah, so I've so I've mentioned once or twice on a couple of other podcasts that I that I've, that I've been a guest on recently, um, and I think I might have mentioned it on various social media bits and pieces. Is that we are working on season four now? It's something that we can start talking about. <coughs> um, and as the year goes on, you're going to see more and more information from us in the lead up to season four. I mean, anybody that remembers the excitement leading up to the start of season three will remember that's going to be the same kind of thing you're going to see again <coughs> this year. Later in the year, you're going to start seeing some really exciting stuff from us. For the moment, we can talk about some very general principles and concepts, though, in that season four is going to be an attempt to... We're not going to be changing the game of Guild Ball much at all, really. It's going to remain the same game that you know and love. But what we're trying to do with it is make it more accessible to as many people as possible. And one of the ways in which we can do that is by having a good in-depth look at the language, how we write our rules and how we present information to people. Um, a good example of uh, how we do that is at the moment you'll see on our cards quite a lot you see a massive amount of use of say bolding capitalization uh, hyphenation of words and and there's a lot of different things that can jump out of you i mean if you go back to look at the cards for instance of veteran links you can look at that uh, the jawbone traps and you see i think it's five or six bolded words you can see three or four different uses of of, of, of brackets uh, and all of that kind of stuff can it, it's supposed to help you pick out the key information in that rule but it actually doesn't it almost camouflages it to you because you're seeing so much of it does that make some sense Sense. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. so what we're yep. trying to do is, is strip elements of that out where it's not necessary, uh, so you can just read clean and clear language. Um, another good example of the kind of things that we're going to be doing is when we defined in the core rules the word attack. You know what an attack is. What we've tended to do in the way that we write rules is we've tended to use the word attack without any of its other tenses or forms. So we have we don't tend to use the word attacking as an instance. We don't tend to use the word attacked. Um, and so you'll often see a Gilball rule written something on the lines of must declare an attack or when making an attack. And that's quite an obtuse way of saying something. It's not the way you'd say something in normal written English language. But instead, there's actually no reason for us to have to write our rules that way. There's no reason we can't use phrases such as while attacking, because that is just as clear to any other person uh, as while making an attack. It's just that it, in the earlier days when we were writing the rules for Gilball, we built up this this idea of how we thought it was best to write clear rules that we know now to not be true. Um, you can actually use a lot more common English language than we thought we could originally. Does that make some sense as well? Yeah. 
it's, quite a, it's a bit of a difficult thing to explain. But basically, the aim of this is to lower the barrier of entry to anybody. So anybody coming over from any other miniatures game will find the Guild Ball rules much more accessible. And even people that haven't played a miniatures game at all before will find the rules language of Guild Ball more accessible. Uh, and it won't be, you won't be see as much wargamer jargon in there and stuff. And, but ultimately, the game will still be the same. And, it, and what we're trying to do is maintain the amount of clarity that we have in our rules because Guild Ball, one of the things that I think Guild Ball is, is quite famous for is having quite clear-cut rules most of the time. Um, and that's certainly one of the highest tenets that we have for the game. And we want to maintain that clarity of rule set, but also make the rule set more accessible for people that are not grammar specialists. Um, and yes, that's one of the main objectives. I mean, to give you another good example of some of the of the sort of the streamlining and clarity that we're adding to the season four core rules, a really good example of that is you currently have the two uh, momentous uh, teamwork actions of give and go and pass and move. Now, for one. Most people, if you asked them which one was which, couldn't tell you which one of those two abilities was which. And those abilities are when you pass the ball to somebody, upon making a successful pass, one of the two models can make a four-inch dodge. And when you think about it, there's no reason that that rule can't be written almost exactly like that. When making a pass, if the pass is successful, either the kicking model or the receiving model can make a four-inch dodge, and it's done. And you don't need to have that be two separate rules. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be compressing giving go and pass and move into a single rule, which you should call pass and move. Um, and that's it really there's, there's nothing more to be said about it so it's, do you find that to be a good example of ways in which we could increase the clarity of the game what would you say about that yeah i, I think that's uh yeah it makes sense like you say it's people just say make the pass and they're like yeah i'm just gonna make a dodge they never go i'm gonna pass and move or give and go or defend or attack or you know yeah i mean set it, the in motion. yeah we're trying to find that nice middle ground between the clearest, cleanest rules that we can write and accessible English language for most people. It must be hard, though, because, like, as a war game, we kind of read things in a certain way, and it must be hard to sort of look at it with fresh eyes a bit. Yeah, that's because you have to create a lot of defined terms. So you're, you're actually redefining an entire word. So you, when you say the word attack to anybody that doesn't play a miniatures game, they might have a different meaning in their head to what it means to someone that has played a miniatures game before. Attack is something that almost every single miniatures game defines as a particular thing. And an attack is done in a particular way, um, so that therefore changes the way <laughs> that word is used in sentence structure and blah 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 and boring grammar stuff. <laughs> um, but there, there is still happy mediums that we can draw where you can still use that word in a more relatable way. And one of the ways in which you can do that is by saying words like attacking while attacking instead of while making an attack. It's 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 not necessarily something that most people find enjoyable to talk about, but. It's something that I'm, I'm basically knee-deep in at the moment in trying to get that done. It's a tough job because you're going through the entire game trying to make all this stuff happen. At the same time, trying to clear up those little bits of rules um, that aren't as clear as they could be. And doing all that stuff is a pretty massive piece of work, but I'm fairly sure it'll be certainly worth it when it's finished. Um, and what this is hopefully going to allow us to do is to not only allow people that already love Guild Ball to keep playing the same game that they've loved for years, but also uh, allow our pundits and people that love to demo Guild Ball to show it off to their friends, and they will hopefully be able to pick up the game much more quickly. Presumably, it means we'll get, we'll get a new book at, um, well, at probably around sort of SteamCon time, I guess, as well. We're aiming for that. We're aiming and, for that, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe a new box as well, I assume. Um, cool. Um, I'm uh, going to have to jump in and be rude, gentlemen. I've got to go. Um, unfortunately, time has uh, gotten away from me, and I've just realised I've got some important things I need to be... Not that this isn't, but some actual things that pay me money uh, to go and do. So, uh, Jamie, thank you ever so much for your time, as usual. And, Andrew, try and, um, try and hold it together as best as you can while I'm not here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. All right, I love you guys. Speak to you later. Bye. Bye.